Sometimes things in life can happen far quicker than you expect. I got a text message on Wednesday morning and it said, please book in for your vaccine. So I went to book in and the next available slot was half an hour after the text had came in. So I got in the car, drove down to the stadium in Warrington, had my jab and was back in church within 45 minutes. Talk about efficiency. That was efficiency much quicker than I expected. Each week, a handful of people across the world become millionaires overnight. Anyone here done that? No? No? Many of you will know that we've just moved house. It took five months from putting an offer in on the house to actually moving. And it seemed to drag on and on and on until the last 48 hours when everything seemed to happen at breakneck speed. And you move. And you move. You live in one house one day and another house the other day. But sometimes things in life take longer. If you're growing a plant, it doesn't matter how much fertilizer you give it, how much water you give it, how much sunlight it has, even if you do a Prince Charles and speak to it and encourage it, it will grow at its own speed. It will not be hurried. A child doesn't learn to speak overnight. It takes time. It takes um, years to learn to get your vocab. An artist painting a picture, a musician writing a song, an athlete trying to become the best they can in their field. It all takes time and effort. Some things in life happen quickly. Some things in life take time. They take time. If you were with us last week, we left Ruth in chapter 2, and she was gleaning in the fields of Boaz. Now, just a very recap of where we're up to in this account. The account of Ruth and Boaz, well, it's a love story, but it's a love story in a totally different kind of world than we live in now. So we have to do a bit of digging around to work out the, the sort of the symbolism of what's happening. Now, Ruth is not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. But she has married an Israelite man, but sadly he has died. So she has returned to Israel with Naomi, who is her mother-in-law. And these two women have a really close bond, a really close relationship. Now, Boaz is a relation of Naomi. And as such, he can become what Sarah told us about last week, the kinsman redeemer. He can be the person who buys Ruth back, who marries her. And in a culture that was very difficult for a widow to survive, this would be a very good thing for Ruth. So we left Ruth last week acting under the law in the sense that she's harvesting at the edge of Boaz's field. And so we get into chapter 3. Now in ancient times, finding a suitable marriage partner was often a full family involvement. You know, in many cultures today, we have arranged marriages. It's still societal norm in so many different places. But wonder if Naomi has seen something growing in the relationship between Ruth and Boaz the kindness already that Boaz has shown to Ruth. And so Naomi starts to step in and starts to say, well, there's a good match here. Here's somebody who could be the kinsman redeemer, and here is a potential marriage relationship. During the harvest time, if you were a farmer, the most valuable thing you had was your crop. It's interesting, isn't it? Over the years, the things that seem to hold value change. In our world today, we seem to think that lots of material things hold value. Whereas in the ancient world, as in many places in the world today, the most valuable thing you can have is food. And so the landowner would often sleep near to their harvest. They would make sure that it didn't get pinched. Because if somebody came and stole it, you could starve that year. There was no Lidl or Aldi around the corner. You couldn't go and replenish your supplies easily. So Boaz is sleeping near the gathered crops. That's what he was going to do. And Naomi offers some advice. 
to Ruth. Now, she doesn't say, let's come up with a business plan. Let's try and persuade Boaz to marry you. Let's write a 40-page document and get him to sign at the bottom line. No, she does something quite different. She says to Ruth, go and put on your best clothes, make yourself smell nice, and when this man is laying down to sleep, go and lie at his feet on the threshing floor. And so in verse 8, it says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Now, in any day, that would be a startling thing to happen. But in Ruth's day, this actually meant something. Now, we can read in up with our 21st century eyes and ears all kinds of things into this account here that aren't really there. So let's just be um, very clear that this is perhaps not what we might think in the 21st century. At the time, if somebody came and laid at the end of somebody else's bed, it was a sign of servanthood. It was a very different symbolism. But the symbolism actually here is not so much in the lying at the end of the bed, but it's in what happens with the garment being put over Ruth's Ruth's, um, feet at this point. There could have been other servants close by. It might not even have been a private place. It could have been quite a public setting, hence the sort of sneaking around. So you get to verse 9, and it says this. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. What on earth is going on here? What is this all about? Basically, what Ruth is doing at this point is saying to Boaz, will you marry me? This is a proposal. It must be the most odd wedding proposal that we come across. You know, when Claire and I got engaged, we went to North Wales. We went to the Aberglasslin Bass. It was romantic. We had an engagement ring. We did not do what happens here. We have to understand the culture. So this is a getting down on one knee moment. Ruth is saying to Boaz, will you redeem me? Will you buy me back? And Boaz sees the intention of her heart. Ruth is not trying to take advantage of Boaz or making claims against him. She leaves before dawn so that there's no suggestion that anything else has happened. She keeps her side pure. And the result is that Boaz does buy Ruth back. And in chapter 4, which we'll see next week, there's an elaborate ritual involving sandals. I bet you can't wait, but that's for next week. But at every turn in this account, Boaz does the right thing. At every turn, he does the godly thing. It says in chapter 2, he has shown great kindness to Ruth. In verse 10, he expresses how kind he thinks Ruth is being back. How he says that he is showing her kindness in not going after younger men, either rich and poor, who could also redeem her. He also then says that there is somebody else who could be the kinsman redeemer, who is a closer relative, and if they want to do it, well, that's great. But if not, he says this. He submits himself to the will of God. As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. He allows space and time for God's will, for other people to act, but he also doesn't put things off. He is as decisive as he is gracious. What Boaz demonstrates is that he is a man of godly character. And what he says about Ruth is she is a woman of noble character in verse 11. That simple living out of the things that God wants us to do. And so the question comes for us. Are we people of godly character? 
Are we people of godly character? Are we people who in those moments when we could have a real temptation in front of us to do the wrong thing, do we do the right thing? Are we people who off the cuff do that thing that we know God would want us to do? Or do we do do other things? You know, being a person of godly character is not about self-help. It's not about trying harder. Look at these two verses from um, these two passages from um, the epistles from Paul. Colossians 3, 14 to 15. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Root yourself in the love of God. Fix yourself there. Or then in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Some things in life happen really quickly. Some things take time. Developing godly character is a lifetime of immersing ourselves in the love of God, in the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit to become like him. Now, sometimes God is gracious to us. He allows us to press that fast-forward button. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in life, where you're praying about something, perhaps you've got a bad attitude or a bad habit or something, and you want God to help you break that, and God releases you and gives you freedom in the moment. Brilliant. God is gracious, and God sometimes does that. But at other times, we have to dig deep to become the people that God wants us to be. So just think about your own character this morning. You know, we had Kevin on the motorway before, didn't we? How do you react when somebody cuts you up when you're driving? What's your instinct? Is it to go mad behind the wheel and the safety of your car, or is it to act in a godly way? How do you react when perhaps somebody says something to you that actually catches you out and hurts you? Do you go back in? Do you go to hurt them again? Or do you intrinsically act in the way that Jesus would act? Perhaps you're stood in the queue for the shop and actually somebody pushes in front of you. And what what do you do? Do you react in a human way, in a very human way? Or do you react in a godly way? Is your snap decision to act in a godly way? You see, Boaz, he doesn't have time to go away and think about all these decisions that he makes. He doesn't have that time to decide what to say to Ruth when she's laid at the foot of his bed at night. His intrinsic reaction is to do the right thing. Temptation is there, temptation is real, but he does the right thing. You know, God knows our hearts, he sees it all. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. When the lights are out, when no one's watching, when we're not visible to the world around us, is our character a godly character? Jerry Bridges says this, so often we try to develop Christian character and conduct without taking the time to develop God-centered devotion. We try to please God without taking the time to walk with him and develop a relationship with him. This is impossible to do. You know, if we just try to make decisions, snap decisions like this, and, and we're trying to process it really quickly and say, well, what is the right thing to do? Actually, that's not the right way of behaving because that's all about legalism and rule keeping. But actually, if we find ourselves immersed in the person of God, if we drench ourselves in the Word of God, if we spend time on our knees in prayer, if we are empowered by the Spirit, then we will know the character of God. And so we become like Him. We become like Him. Character traits are picked up, aren't they, from all kinds of things. We're a bit like a sponge as a human being. 
And whatever we sort of input into ourselves, then when we're put under pressure and squeezed, it comes out. What comes out when we're put under pressure? Is it a godly character or is it something else? Are we today committed to being the Boaz-type people? People who, in whatever situation, do the right thing. I want us to think about three reflection points this morning. And the first one is a very simple question. How is our character? How is it today? What is your character like this morning? It might be worth this this, um, bank holiday weekend just spending some time asking yourself those questions. How do you react when under pressure? What does that say about you? What does it say about me? What does it say about our relationship with God? What does it say about our priorities? How do we react in those snap decisions? Second thing, are we spending time with God? You know, it always sounds very simple to have as a sort of application point in any sermon or Bible study, you know, spend more time with Jesus. But actually, it is the most important thing we can do to grow to be like him. If we're not spending that deliberate time in the Word, if we're not spending deliberate time in prayer, in reflection, don't be surprised if our character doesn't change. Don't be surprised if we remain the same or our spiritual growth stalls. Because the stuff that's being inputted into us isn't the stuff of the Spirit. It's not the stuff of God's Word. Whatever it is, it's something else. Will you today, will I today, commit to spending that time with God so that we become like Him? Just think about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. They ate with him. They they walked with him. They ministered with him. And as a result, bit by bit, their character was molded. Thirdly, what influences us? Being an influencer is something quite significant on social media these days, isn't it? Talking about influencing other people. But as humans, we are all influenced by different things. None of us lives in isolation. Even in lockdown situations, we don't live in isolation. We just change what inputs into our brain. It may be what we're watching on Netflix, what we listen to, the songs that we listen to, the things that we watch, the things that we see online. What do we allow to influence us? What do we allow to be inputted into, if you like, the sponge of our lives so that when we're squeezed under pressure, all that stuff will come out? What's inputting into us? Are we allowing the Word of God to input more than those other things. Let's make it our prayer. Let's make it our desire this morning to be people of godly character, people of noble character, as Ruth is described. People who instinctively know what the right thing is to do because we know Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for Ruth and for Boaz and how they demonstrate godly character. Lord, so often in our lives, we realize that we fail to to be the people that you want us to be. But we thank you that you don't have any illusions about us. Thank you that you came and you died for us and you have saved us and you have called us to a grace-based life. And Lord, out of our response to your love, help us to, to develop that character that instinctively knows what the godly thing to do is in each situation. Lord, perhaps if we're struggling this morning, by your Spirit, would you break into our hearts and lives? 
Lord, would you encourage us? Lord, would you move us on, we pray. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Just to say, um, if you do want somebody to pray with you, if there are things in your life at the moment that you actually think, actually, I really want freedom from something in my life, I want breakthrough in a particular area, I'd love somebody to pray with me, do remember that the prayer phone is available all week, the, the number, the 07942670789. Just either text that number, ring it, and we will arrange for a time to, to pray with you either on the phone or, or perhaps catch up with a walk or something. Please do make use of that. It's so important that we pray for each other.